Welcome, market participants, to another Three Things in Credit. I'm Van Hesser, Chief Strategist at KBRA. Each week, we bring you three things impacting credit markets that we think you should know about. So how about a history lesson? First half stock returns, the worst since 1932. First half returns on the 10-year, the worst since 1788. Investment-grade market shut for seven days? Well, that's the worst since the failure of Lehman Brothers. Wow, the first half has been one to forget. This week, our three things are, one, an oil spike. It often triggers central bank tightening. Two, sentiment surveys. See if you can find some optimism out there. We can. And three, bank stress tests. The outcome can be the difference between a mild and a more severe recession. All right, let's dig a bit deeper. Credit performance as an asset class is a function of investor expectations for defaults. Default risk moves for a variety of reasons, both idiosyncratic and systematic. And systematically speaking, one of the reasons an economy contracts or goes into recession is when excesses arise that run the risk of becoming destructive, such as higher-than-comfortable inflation. To cool that inflation, the policy response is to withdraw liquidity and tighten financial conditions. That, of course, is currently underway as the central bank, to paraphrase Fed Chair Powell this past week, attempts to bring supply and demand back into better alignment. We bring this up to put into context the rise in the price of oil. Even though energy represents less than 8% of the CPI and gasoline about half that, it seems to play an outsized role in shaping sentiment. In a recent University of Chicago poll, 63% of respondents said they were extremely or very concerned about the impact of higher gasoline prices on their household's financial situation. Energy is an everyday need that swings around rather violently held hostage to the whims of global growth, the state-owned producers that dominate and often weaponize it, and changing stakeholder preferences that continue to demonize it. And when it spikes, as it has since year-end, up as much as 65%, it effectively serves as a tax on consumers and businesses, many of which don't have much in the way of cushion to absorb such a hit. Spikes torment politicians who can't seem to deflect blame to the evil forces around the world, driving it no matter how deserved. And no intervention, such as suspending federal tax on consumption, is going to make a meaningful difference. Price spikes also grab the attention of central bankers, regardless of whether oil is excluded from some core inflation calculation. Almost every significant recession over the past 50 years has been preceded by an oil spike. 1973, 1981, 1990, 2008, and we bet there's a pretty good chance that we can add 2022 to the list. It makes sense. Demand exceeds supply, inflation rises, central banks tighten, economic contraction ensues. The Fed's deflationary shock trump oil's inflationary shock. Now, the International Energy Agency, the IEA, has come out and said global oil supply will struggle to meet demand in 2023, even into a slowing economy. The outsized impact of the price of oil is going to increase 
the risk of recession, and of course, the rising consumer and commercial defaults that go with it. All right, on to our second thing, scarce optimism. Now, we talked about that University of Chicago survey we just cited a couple of weeks ago, noting that 83%, of respondents describe the economy as poor or not so good. I guess we shouldn't have been surprised to see the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index for early June found that Americans have never felt as bad about the economy as they do now, at least not since the late 1970s when the survey was first taken. For context, consider that the most recent reading of 50 compares to the worst hit in the GFC, which was 58, and the previous low was in the Volcker double-dip recession in 1980 when it reached 53, and this when we have the tightest job market in 50 years. Over on the commercial side of things, the NFIB Small Business Outlook for General Business Conditions Index registered its lowest reading ever, with data going back to the Nixon administration. And meanwhile, the conference board's measure of CEO confidence, which hit a 17-year high in the first quarter of 2021, has now plummeted to a level 42, not seen since the onset of the pandemic. Readings below 50, by the way, reflect more negative than positive responses. Readings below 40 are few and far between. Pandemic, the GFC, WorldCom Enron back in 2000. The conference board commented that expectations for future conditions were bleak. A common thread running through all of these surveys is inflation, the burden it creates today, and the threat it poses to economic growth in the future. The CEOs, however, seem relatively unfazed by what lies ahead, with only 11% expecting a hard landing, i.e. a challenging recession, while another 20% expect stagflation. Over on the investor side of things, optimism about the economic outlook hit a record low in the Bank of America monthly fund manager survey. Some 73% of respondents expect a weaker economy in the next 12 months. Now, that should come as no surprise, given that we are moving into a post-stimulus environment. But what's a bit more alarming is the way the bank characterized sentiment in June, referring to it as dire. Not to be outdone, the American Association of Individual Investors Sentiment Survey recorded one of its most pessimistic levels ever. And if you're still struggling to pick up what we're putting down, the CNN Fear and Greed Index has tipped into extreme fear. Now, we are big believers in the wisdom of crowds. In the face of all of this negativism, investors should expect the up-in-quality skew in credit markets to continue to present itself. All right, on to our third thing. Banks pass their stress tests. As we outlined in our second-half framework for credit in last week's podcast, we noted that a fundamental piece of the economy, the financial system, is in sound shape. This is critical when thinking about a decelerating economy or a recession, as often the difference between a mild recession and a more severe one is whether or not credit crunch presents. Well, here's a bit of background. In any period of economic contraction, lenders, be it credit investors or banks or non-banks, are going to charge more for credit. That's an act of nature. Credit crunch happens when some part of that triumvirate cannot lend. One of the reasons the recovery after the GFC was so anemic was that we had credit crunch. 
The banks were loaded with bad debts that had to be worked through. Much of the non-bank space was wounded or wiped out, and investors were skittish. Today, the banking system is sound and looking to lend to be more competitive with shadow banks that have become a formidable competitor in most loan segments. Evidence of that soundness comes from this week's results of the annual regulatory stress tests of the largest banks, something implemented post the GFC as a way of promoting confidence in the banking system and regulating their ability to return excess capital to shareholders. This year's hypothetical test features, among other shocks, unemployment of 10% for at least two years, a 40% drop in commercial real estate prices, and a 55% decline in stock prices. All 34 banks tested passed, meaning that in a severe recession, and after absorbing losses of $612 billion across a nine-quarter time frame, all of the banks would have sufficient capital to continue lending to households and businesses. We also believe creditors can take some comfort in these results at a time when bank stocks have been underperforming and bank credit spreads widening, despite a rising rate environment which is usually favorable to bank earnings. That sell-off could suggest growing investor concern about the prospect of rising loan losses coming as the economy normalizes and the Fed tightens. We would discount those concerns. The de-risking bank loan portfolios have undergone as a result of regulatory guidance has reduced the overall risk profile of the banks in this cycle, something this week's stress tests bear out. So there you have it. Three things in credit. One, an oil spike. It often triggers central bank tightening. Two, sentiment surveys. If this is not the bottom, I wonder what is. And three, bank stress tests. This week's results suggest credit crunch is unlikely. As always, thanks for joining us. Don't forget to check in on KBRA.com for our latest research and ratings reports. See you next week.